0: We had plenty of time. We could have. If you see me coming late, uh, I'm not late, I've just been on the other side of the building. Uh, as you know we have an 11 service and we started that back with Kairos and so many of the young adults were coming here on Sunday morning and not finding anything that like they had seen on on Tuesday night. So we started that service. And we started at 11:11, 11, 11, and they would say, why? Well, that's when you get here. <laughs> so we'll just start when you get here. <laughs> Usually we video venue me over there. If you go over there, I'm taller on the video there. So, But uh, we decided that we would try it with me starting. So they sing one song and pray, and I preach, and then walk from over... It's a long walk from Hudson Hall over here, so um, if you see me on tennis shoes for the next couple of weeks, you'll know. That's... So that's where we are when we come in a little late, but um, we're glad to be here with you and uh, trust you've found a warm sense of welcome among God's people with us. According to the experts, we have a, an epidemic of, uh, of bullying, And, and listen, if you were, if you went through middle school, junior high school, you were bullied or you bullied, you were one of the two. Uh, And it could be because you were tall or short, your, your skin color was different, your accent uh, was different, or it could have been just because you showed up school that day. Now most of that was just being in middle school and most of us survived it. Here's what makes it more dangerous now. One is the breakdown of the the family. Uh, The child goes through a hurtful experience and they do not have a father, they do not have a mother, they do not have grandparents around them to help them uh, understand that moment and then get through it. Or because of social media, the people that love that child may not even know that child is being bullied. Uh, They may not be aware of what's going on on Facebook, may not be aware of what's going on on some of the other social media platforms. And there are some satanic evil things being said to some of our children in these platforms. Things like, why don't you just go ahead and kill yourself? Uh, That has been tweeted out. And message to young people, some as early as elementary school. And so, part of the epidemic of uh, uh, a try of, of engaging this epidemic of bullying is standing up for people who ha- don't or don't feel that they have a way to stand up for themselves. Interestingly enough, the church has a long history of doing this. By the way, if you're a Christ follower, you do not bully. Amen. Period. Uh, I don't care how different the person is than you are. I don't care if they believe differently than you do. Every person you meet is a bearer of the Imago Dei, the image of God. And we honor the image that every person bears. Second, every person you meet is someone that Christ loved so much, he died for them. What Christ has created. What Christ has called good, you and I dare not call common. Not only do we not bully, we stand up against bullies. If you follow church history you'll see those times when we have been most prophetic have been those times when we have stood up for those people in our culture who could not stand up for themselves. The times we have, we have been most counterculture is when the times that we have confronted some kind of bullying. Um, child uh, labor laws. Child labor laws were changed because of the influence of the Christian church. Uh, Slavery. Slavery was uh, stopped around the world and is still now being confronted uh, through the witness of of the church. We shouldn't be too surprised. One of the first lessons we learn from Barnabas is about standing up for people Who can't stand up for themselves? It's in Acts 15. Stand with me in honor of God's word. Yes, I'm reading from my iPhone. Do not send me emails. (laughs) I'm doing this to celebrate those of you who tell me I read my Bible on my iPhone. This is what I do. Now I am uh, I'm old school. I believe in paper. Uh, If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. That's a joke. In case he probably didn't have paper Bible. Uh, but if this is the way you do it, fine. Any way it gets from God's heart to yours is okay with me. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and who had not gone with him on to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and Barnabas took Mark with him and he sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed and after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord, he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and Barnabas took Mark. This is God's Word for God's people. Hear it. Believe it and live. Let's pray together. Teach us not to give up on people or their future the way Barnabas didn't give up on John Mark. And we pray this in your name. Amen. One of the reasons that I've learned to trust the Bible over the course of my lifetime and studies is that the Bible always tells us the truth. It doesn't hide anything from us. Uh, We know about the failure of Moses. We know about... um, Uh, David's affair. We know that uh, Peter denied Christ. We have all of those details. Nothing is scrubbed. And so now we have an intense disagreement between two of the leaders in the early church. And at the heart of this disagreement is whether or not John Mark can go on the mission trip. Now, everybody's nerves are on edge here. It has been a very intense moment for the early church. In fact, all of the leaders of the early church are back in Jerusalem to discuss this important question. Do you have to become a Jew before you become a Christian? Do you have to become something else before you can become a follower of Christ? Uh, Peter had seen it in the, in the, in the salvation of Cornelius Uh, Paul had seen it in the work of the early church that he had been part of, that God was reaching out to Gentiles and bringing them into the church. So Jews and Gentiles were being saved the same way. So the early church had to get together and work through this process. And they came to the conclusion that, no, you don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. So after this intense moment, and Paul tells us in another letter that it got pretty tough, that he had to confront face-to-face Peter uh, for ignoring Gentile brothers and sisters, And he had to even confront Barnabas, uh, who showed up at the church and then went to hang out with the Jewish brothers and sisters and didn't honor the Gentiles who were there, also. So, Paul, you can see it kind of in the way the, the, the story is being told. Paul's ready to get out of town. He's had enough of these discussions, he wants to get back to his mission. And so he tells Barnabas, Let's go back and check on the churches that we started. And Barnabas says, Great. I'll go tell John Mark. Paul says if you're telling him anything other than goodbye, don't bother. Paul insisted. Did you see the language that is used against John Mark? Paul insisted that they not take John Mark. This man who had failed and were given the exact city where he failed. And we're given the We're told that he wouldn't continue the work. On and on the list goes. Poor John Mark. We only have a handful of sentences about him in the New Testament. And four or five of them are slamming him. Now, Paul's right. Paul's the leader of the mission. Paul has a right to take the team he wants to take. And in order to be part of Paul's mission, Paul had to trust you. And Paul did not trust John Mark. Why? John Mark had failed, and he had failed under pressure. It was only going to get harder. What would John Mark do next time? So, Paul wouldn't take him. Barnabas insisted that they do. So, they finally get to the part of the argument where Barnabas tells Paul, Well, if John Mark can't go with you, I won't go either. And Paul says, Fine. And he chooses Silas. Paul and Silas leave. Paul and Silas become the new hip missionary team. Everything from Acts on is about Paul, Paul and Silas, Paul, Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas. Nothing about Barnabas. Uh, the Philippian jail scene that's Paul and Silas. Barnabas isn't part of that story. In fact, Barnabas isn't part of any more stories, he's out. Uh, One of the most frustrating things about studying the book of Acts is you get to a person's life and you'll read about what's going on and then they're gone. You don't hear anything else about them. What happened to Peter? We don't know. Now we've got enough history and story we can kind of figure it out. But Acts doesn't tell us. What happened to Paul? We don't know. Last time we see Paul he's under house arrest in Rome preaching. What happened? We don't know. The reason we don't know is because that's not what the story is about. The story is about the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit Himself is the main character of Acts and how the Spirit Himself is opening up works throughout the world. The, the Holy Spirit is the subject of Acts, not Peter, not Paul, or any of the rest. So Barnabas disappears from the story. Now we have rumors, we have history, we have eh, kind of think we kind of maybe know, but we really don't know. Acts doesn't tell us. We know a couple of things. We know that somehow John Mark ends up in Rome. We know that he begins to write down the stories of Peter. And those stories of Peter become the basis of the first gospel, the gospel of John Mark. We know also that Matthew and Luke used John Mark as a basic outline. They added stories for their particular audiences, but John Mark was the basic outline. We know we would have lost significant parts of three of the four Gospels if Barnabas had not hung in there with John Mark. It's not enough to be right, is it? You have all the information. You have the right answer and still get it wrong. Barnabas wouldn't give up on John Mark. Yes, he had failed. Yes, he deserved what he got. Yes, but Barnabas would not let that failure be the last word in John Mark's life. He stood up against Paul. He gave up his his authority. He gave up his position all to stay faithful to John Mark. And John Mark has mentioned one other time, it's at the end of 2 Timothy. We're going to talk about that next week. But this week we're going to talk about Barnabas not giving up. You know this church has a history of standing up for people who couldn't stand up for themselves or didn't have access or power or things. Uh, we've done some wacky things in the history of this church. We called a pastor for the deaf church when there were eight deaf people attending eight. Didn't even have a deaf Sunday school. And we were calling a pastor for the deaf church. Because of that we now have the deaf Bible. Because we started thinking and watching and paying attention, asking questions, why don't the deaf have their own Bible? And people said, well they're deaf, they're not blind, they can read the Bible. Well if you are deaf you learn, uh, the words work differently because you and I learn to read by listening to somebody else read that's why we learned to work the language. And if you don't have that then you learn the language a different way and the words work differently. So there is now a Deaf Go Bible app. You can get it in Google Play or the Apple Store and you can download the Deaf Bible. There's almost a thousand stories on there now and it's in 20 different languages all around the world. Wycliffe Translators, are you familiar with them? They do translations all over the world. They were trying to do the Deaf Bible and couldn't figure it out. Somebody told them about us. We go to a meeting in Dallas. They say, You guys are doing what we cannot do. And now we're starting a partnership with Wycliffe Translators to get the Deaf Bible out in worldwide distribution. They gave us a $40,000 grant. And all that's happening right across the hall. Because this church said, You know, Deaf people need their own Bible and we're not going to let brothers and sisters who are deaf not have access to the scriptures. That's not right. Now that's not a cheap proposition. Not a cheap proposition at all. It's a lot of money to hire the, uh, the guys to design the icons. It's a lot of money to have the interpreters here uh, to do that. But you and I decided, you know, we're not going to let our deaf brothers and sisters not have access to scriptures. That's not right. We found out that no seminary would teach a deaf pastor because they would not provide an interpreter for the the student. So we said, that's not right. You know where you go to get trained now if you want to pastor a deaf congregation or if you are a deaf pastor wanting to do ministry, you know where you go to be trained? Right there. Right there right across the hall. We're the only people in the world that do it. Why? Because we said, you know, that's not right. A guy who wants to pastor, whether or not he's deaf, uh, deserves a quality theological education, quality training. So that's why we started that. And that's why we're doing this next process that we're in now. Because we found out that there were men and women, sometimes because of their own decision and sometimes because somebody else's decision, didn't have access to housing. Couldn't get an apartment, couldn't afford a place to live. So you're talking about a single mom and two kids living in a car. That's not right. So we connected with Project Connect Nashville. And we're working on a process now where we'll be able to get together with, uh, uh, with apartments in Madison and we'll be able to put these people through a system of discipleship, financial planning, job skills, job interview training, and all of that so that they can uh, return to the workforce and they have a safe place to live while they're doing it. It's going to cost about $300,000 a year to do that for about a million dollars over three years. And that's one of the things that we're looking for with this next process. Not right. So we're going to step in. We found that brothers and sisters don't have, if they have a special needs child they don't go to church anywhere. Why? Because they show up and nobody at the church can can take care of their child so they stop going at all. That's not right. So we started working with uh, Young Life Capernaum and we found out about the special needs ministry and that's why we're committed to building a $5 million facility about 15,000 square feet be back off the children's wing. I've told you before we're not going to build anymore on this campus but I've always gave the, the asterisk that we thought God was leading us to do something significant with special needs and we would probably do that. Uh, right now we have four rooms on the second floor uh, just, uh, just across the hall from, Har- uh, from Hudson Hall. That are dedicated to special needs families and their children, we're already looking at having to schedule those families now because so many people are showing up. That's not right. So that's why we're standing. Hundred healthy congregations. Now you're going to tell me, Mike, this is the, uh, the, the buckle of the Bible belt. There's churches everywhere. Yeah, there's buildings, not churches. That's different. But everybody needs a place where they know the love of Jesus or somebody to hang with them and not give up on them. Everybody deserves that. It's not right that folks don't have access to the gospel. So somewhere on the pew near you, I hope you have it in your Bible, is one of these next cards. Uh, We have dropped them out of airplanes. We've thrown them at you every time you're near. Uh, We didn't want you to get away from this. And yeah, there are a couple of things that we're asking you to do right now. It is ripped so you can keep the small red copy. That's yours. So you can remind yourself of the commitment you're making today. It's a commitment to get involved in some kind of life group, discipleship process. It's a commitment to get involved in sharing the Gospel stories with your friends and neighbors. It's a commitment to get your finances in order and start tithing. If you're tithing, then move on to the tithe, to generosity. If you're generosity, then move to legacy giving. Yeah, uh, get your will together and put the church in, the, in your will. Why? <laughs> because the work's going to go on here a long time after you and I are gone. The Lord would not burden us with this and not provide the resources. So that's why we're asking you to get your total life focused on this next process. So if you want to take just a moment now, grab this card and fill it out and press it toward the center, our ushers will be coming forward. And as you're doing that, if you're here and this is the first time you have thought about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our counselors, our ministers are waiting for you at a a table in the atrium called Next Steps. They want to help in this conversation. They want to be able to pick it up where I'm leaving off to help you know who you are and what you're worth. You want to become part of our church family, you come on. We're waiting for you. The Lord's waiting for you where you are. The church will wait for you as you come. Now, as you fill out this card, push it toward the center. Yeah, I'm looking at you. And I'm looking at some harder than I'm looking at others (laughs) because this is important. And we want you to make your place, find your place, find your Barnabas moment so the future can find a way. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray now the choices we make are exactly what you want.